It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Hello and welcome back. It's another episode of American Loser, folks, and this one is fucking free, all right? So we're getting the first <laughs> F-bomb out of the way. The show has been described as MBR with F-bombs, so it only feels appropriate here. Uh, my name is KB Burke. I'm a stand-up comic in the great state of New Jersey. It's starting to come back. All right, I'm doing less and less sheetrock and more and more comedy again, so that part's good. With me, as always, my Delph of a dad. We're bringing you the weirdest stories from American history. LP, say hello to the people at home. Hello, people at home, and well, good to have you here. It is good to be here, man. Behind the ones and twos, because we're at a shared universe podcast studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. So who's behind the ones and twos? It is I, the big kahuna. Indeed, man. <laughs> the one, the, the only. And uh, we are doing a Patreon, uh, folks. If you guys want to do uh, support the show at all, a portion of your donation will go to getting kahuna new glasses. Oh, we're come on with that. that. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> All right, I get it. I need new glasses. I hear, I've heard this joke. I don't know how many freaking times in the he's, last he's like been doing a balancing act with uh, uh, one earpiece. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not going to get you new glasses. We are going to petition Ming formally, though, for him to give you a raise. So you can then buy yourself the new glasses. So, <laughs> right. Really, it's an indictment on Mike and Ming. But oh uh, my god. And we have a guest today, folks, and he's a returning guest, by the way, for the uh, uh, loser devotees. Uh, you know him as uh, my friend, the Godfather of the Jersey Shore comedy scene. Mr. Angelo Gingerelli, welcome back to the show, buddy. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me back. Uh, well, uh, first and foremost, you're one of my good buddies, so it's good to see you. You know, we haven't hung out in a little bit. I think it was right before I went back down to Jacksonville. We hung out when I was doing the um, the shows over at the uh, R.I.P. the Brighton Bar in Long Branch. Yeah, we were there with a. Uh, well, I was there as a fan. You were opening for Don Jamerson and Jim Florentine. <laughs> it was, uh, but you had a great, great room going down there, dude. That's uh, it, it stinks because yeah, Angelo. Actually, I met him. He was running great shows over in Asbury Park. Uh, you're one of the dudes that I was hanging out with all the time in the Jersey Shore. You have a book to promote about teaching how to pe- teaching people how to try to duplicate your success down the Jersey Shore. It's called Stand Up and Laugh, Build a Comedy Scene, Produce Your Own Shows, and Create a Community by Angelo Gingerelli. A thicker beard in the photo on this than he's currently rocking. But. Yeah. You would, uh, the mask, man. I can't wear a mask and have a beard. So now that the mask ever might be over, I might grow it back. But it got just real <laughs> annoying for me. So when I had to wear a mask all the time, I cut the beard off. Um, and I look 10 years younger than I do in the picture of that book. But, uh, yeah, man, so I think like we met in 2013, we hit it off right away and you were cool enough to come down from North Jersey to Asbury Park area and do a bunch of shows with me and the people I was working at the time and everybody that was involved in, we just kept how much fun it was, how great it was, how we were just doing shows every day. It was really, it was one of the few times in my life where like I was experiencing something and being like, damn, this is awesome as I was going through it. <laughs> um, and in the last couple of years, a bunch of articles written about how I kind of got the ball rolling down. It wasn't just me. It was a bunch of people, but I kind of became like the, it, the face it was of you, it. Buddy. You're allowed to. And then, uh, so I kept getting emails and calls. Like, how do you approach a venue to start an open mic? How do you book a show? How do you bring a headliner to a city that's never done it before? So I just compiled it all. I wrote a pretty long book. And what Microcosm Publishing put out there is a zine. So if you're like a 90s punk rock kid, that's a 50 page version of what I hope to produce as a whole book at some point in the near future. But that's the, that's kind of the mixtape. And hopefully the album is coming soon. Well, let's see, because it's a, it's a quick read, um, and it's enjoyable from what I've seen here. I'm excited, because uh, I'm very grateful. He gave me a copy of it, so thank you for that, buddy. And then, um, 
let's see here. Uh, the last chapter is uh, once you've gotten all the people to believe, close the venue. <laughs> <laughs> what? Hang on. More on the next. All right. Apparently, yeah, this is the long con. Angela's been running the long con on us, folks. It's a long, long catfish. Um, yeah, like you said it's a quick read. I'm pumped to be here with your dad, man, because this is a podcast all the time. But to just show you how much my family is standing behind this book, uh, I do a podcast called Me and My Cousins. Neither, of, neither of my cousins have bought or read the book. Okay, uh, no interest whatsoever. <laughs> my dad bought it the day it came out, which I was super grateful for. So about a week later, I call him, I go, hey, well, Dad, what did you think about it? He's like, I like the beginning and I like the end. I'm like, what about the middle? And he goes, didn't read it. Just didn't, <laughs> no, no interest whatsoever uh, by anyone related to yeah, me. Yeah, Pops, this isn't uh, a choose-your-own-adventure book, all right? You got to yeah. figure out some of it. Thanks, yeah. Dad. La familia. Huh? Yeah, it's <laughs> weird. It's a strange, strange thing. My family not big on reading or supporting their own, apparently. Uh, but uh, yeah, I hope glad you guys have me on to talk about it. So, yeah, it's basically what we were doing, you know, six, seven years ago and how that ball got rolling. And then, obviously, the pandemic brought it to a grinding halt. But now yeah. things are starting to come back and we're starting to roll again a little bit. The, uh, the infamous Andy High Roller was a part of that, too. That's how I met him. He's been a, a recurring guest, as are you now, too, which yeah. is awesome. My, uh, my favorite Andy High Roller quote of all time, if you, if you guys listen to the show, you know he's a pretty cynical, not the, not the nicest guy, but we're, me and him are best friends, basically, right? Sexy Bin Laden, and, uh, we call him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in the, in, the, <laughs> in the summer of 2018, he asked me to pick him up in Long Branch and drive him to a show in Asbury. That was going to go to anyway, but he was going to have a couple cocktails, didn't want to drive home. Fair. It's being smart. You know what I mean? Um, so we had on really drinks. So an Uber. Yeah, exa- exactly. And him going, we were talking about the, the error we were talking about. And he goes, uh, I'm glad that happened in my 30s. It would have happened in my 20s. I would have been too young to appreciate it. And I mean, I think that says everything about those first couple years in Asbury and what we were doing and how much fun it was. Oh, absolutely. Because it was, it was worth the drive because I was coming down from North Jersey, like you said, but uh, very much worth the drive. And again, I got to be great friends with you out of this whole thing, too. And you're a recurring guest, which is awesome because you guys know what we do here on the show. What we do is we tell weird stories from American history. Um, Just one last plug here, too. I want to have you plug it again at the end. But the book is called Stand Up and Laugh. Where can people get this? Microcosmpublishing.com is the best place to get it. Uh, If you follow me on Instagram, Mr. Fifth Round, the link is in my bio. uh, And I post about the book on Facebook one, maybe seven times a week. So you should be able to find it there. (laughs) (laughs) Now, please support Angela and the great work he's doing, man. I love the guy. It's uh, it's good to have him in here. So we picked a, a particularly fucked up topic to talk about with you today. Off the top of your head, did you know anything about this weird case we're about to discuss? Yeah, I actually knew a decent amount about it, and I obviously brushed up on it when he asked me to be on this. Nice. And I, I still don't know how I feel about it. I still, like, I've known the story for most of my adult life, and I don't know who I believe. I, you guys, well, oh, it's, it's a, a confusing right, story. Right, yeah, right. Um, I could almost see all, all sides of it being true and or none of them being true. I have, yeah, I have no to idea. To this day, you can still pick your side and, and, and still wonder, you know, that the other the other half has got uh, some, some strong points to make. You yeah. having said that to this day, Hey, Dad, that reminds us. Uh, it's always fun when we talk about something that happened way, way back in time, and then we get to say, well, here's something that happened as recently as five to seven years ago. Uh, we have a new, a, not a new uh, piece of evidence in this case, but a new piece of information that happened today. Literally today, as we're recording it. Uh, we'll reveal that here at the end. Uh, people who have already seen the title of the show know what we're going to be talking about. Um, but according to a quick Google search, Patricia Campbell Hurst is an author and an actress. That's all it says about her, an author and an actress. She's also the granddaughter of Loserception, one of the wealthiest and most influential men in American history, William Randolph Hearst. 
So, yep, William Randolph Hearst. I didn't even know he had any kids. Well, he had kids, oh, yeah. and, uh, and then this is his granddaughter that we're talking about. Oh. Uh, yep, he had five. Well, and then uh, and Patty Hearst, Patricia Hearst, is one of five daughters. Granddaughters. Granddaughters. That's just a good right. catch, good catch. Um, but why is it that uh, when you search Patty Hearst's name, a link to the FBI website is your first search result? <laughs> Did you see that one, Ange? Oops. Not today. I didn't know. Oh, it's pretty good. When the FBI shows up as your number one yeah. thing, you're like, what, what was... How, what kind of movie was this actress in that the FBI is involved? <laughs> right. Um, well, Patty was born in 1954 and was the third of five Hearst daughters. Okay. Or William Randolph Hearst granddaughters, uh, we should say. She came from immense wealth, but was not in charge of any of the family assets at the time of this first incident. Because as you said, Ange, it's a tough, it's a weird one to figure out because you start to think, Maybe, okay, I've seen this movie, and then the movie changes halfway through, and then it changes again, and then they give you a director's cut that undoes everything in the movie. So we're watching from dusk till dawn right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's the best re- – oh, dude, that's a Hall good, of Fame man. reference. <laughs> Hall of Fame reference from the kahuna there. Um, but uh, it's interesting. This first incident is going to occur because Patty is living in an apartment near Berkeley where she is attending school and living with her fiancé, Mr. Stephen Weed. Okay, a little bit ironic, by the way, that uh, his last name is going to be Weed, and uh, Weed is slang for marijuana, which is what William Randolph Hearst ran all that yellow journalism against. So, Reefer Madness is based off of him too. I don't know if you knew that one. Right, I did not know that, but that's yeah. very yeah. interesting. That guy, he was very instrumental name. in the whole Reefer Madness, uh, and to to put um, to put up all the evils of uh, marijuana, well, or hemp, because that was in direct. Uh, Direct conflict with uh, his paper ownings, paper mill ownings. Correct. And uh, for more on that one, too, check out the uh, William Randolph Hearst episode. I was one. I was very proud of that one. Yeah. It's pretty cool, too, because then we found out that Lady Gaga filmed a music video at his mansion, his castle, if you will. So a lot of cool tie-ins with him, man. Um, but anyway, uh, so Stephen Weed, by the way, is uh, Patty Hearst's fiance. Now, she's a young girl at this point. Uh, Stephen Weed, I, in my reading initially of it, I was sitting there and I was like, oh, this is friggin'. You know, probably just a kid she's going to college with, right? Not quite the case. No, you not found quite out. the case. No, uh, uh, Patty, which is the nickname uh, or the pet name that her father had given her, um, she really prefers Patricia. But uh, Patricia or Patty is now a 19-year-old uh, college kid. I believe she's a sophomore in college. Um, but she's also living with her uh, fiancé, who happens to be a 26-year-old, and Mom and Dad Hurst were not real happy with, with that, but um, it's like Stephen, that episode of Wonder Years when uh, the sisters living with Ross from Friends. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Stephen Weed is a uh, a graduate student at Berkeley, but uh, when you scratch the surface here a little bit, because oftentimes with a lot of the research, that's all they tell you. Stephen Weed is her fiance, and he's a little bit older than her. Yeah, he's twenty six, she's nineteen. Um, he was also her math teacher in high school. So there it is. <laughs> they, there we go. They had a little. Uh, they they knew one another previous to uh, the Berkeley years, if you will. What is it with these teachers nowadays? Ah, no, they're yeah. paying homage. It's tradition, really. If you look at it, <laughs> <laughs> it's really uh, dirty, dirty. We'll say that much, man. <laughs> but. Uh, it's very interesting here because uh, Patty's living this normal life, or at least as normal of a life as any future heiress studying art history in uh, Berkeley, California, can be living. And uh, until February 4th, which I imagine would have been Super Bowl Sunday, 
<laughs> nine o'clock. Uh, this is 1974, by the way, just to give you guys the zeitgeist. And LP, we're going to throw to you in a second to explain the zeitgeist, which uh, typically, if you guys don't know, zeitgeist means it's German for spirit of the times. I don't know if you knew that one, Ange. That's that's something I learned. Something in, uh, we always refer to. Yeah. yeah. So we try to give the, uh, the the spirit of the times, if you will, which sometimes requires a lot more research. Uh, this time, we actually have a firsthand account of what 1974 <laughs> right. was all like. 1974 was uh, the glory years, if you will. But uh, yeah, it was it was. Uh, Turbulent, turbulent years. Well, it's turbulent to begin with. And then I want you to get into this in a second because the inciting incident here in our, our first movie, if you will, is going to be that uh, at 9 o'clock at night on February 4th, 1974, a group of armed men are going to break into Patty Hearst's apartment. The men would beat Patty's fiance, Stephen Weed. Stephen Weed, yep, beat him up, smack the shit out of him, all right, uh, and then kidnap her. Now, according to Hearst's testimony, she was blindfolded and tied up in a closet for the entire next week. And when we say according to Hearst, it's because, as Angelo kind of said, you're still not sure how you feel about this whole thing, right? No, I'm still unsure and clear. It's, uh, I think she's unclear about it, too, man, because yeah. it starts to change up a little bit here. Because like any good loser, uh, you can't quite trust this person. It's an unreliable narrator, to borrow a literary term. But what else is going on in 74 here, Dad? Well, in 74, well, the early 70s, it's it's pretty chaotic in uh in our America that, uh, you know, there's a lot of headlines with uh, a wave of uh, disastrous political and economic and cultural crisis uh, is, you know, across the nation. The Watergate scandal uh, has intensified. Uh, President Nixon is still, you know, vehemently denying any knowledge of any kind of illegal break-in at the Democratic National Committee headquarters. So <laughs> and every, everybody had come to really kind of suspect our uh, beloved President Richard Nixon that, uh, you know, we're not going to – we're going to get you out of Vietnam. Meanwhile, we're invading Laos and, and Cambodia kind of a thing. So, you know <laughs> – People, the, the whole Vietnam crisis is going on. It is all kinds of protests um, over over Vietnam. Uh, Nixon is uh, denying anything about the uh, the break in at, at Watergate. Uh, the economy is stagnant. Uh, the inflation is now hitting the twelve percent mark. Uh, oh, that's good, right? Twelve, <laughs> uh, right? Do I understand the economy? Yeah, uh, the stock market has lost close to half its value. So uh, we're pretty much economically we're in the shitter. Um, the Too oil crisis has deepened. This is the, the time of uh, OPEC with the oil crisis that uh, those of us who are old enough can remember standing online waiting to get a, a tank full of gas if, if it was available at all or getting into a fight on a gas line. Um, and then there's a lot of uh, radical uh, counterculture groups that are uh, detonating bombs across the country. Uh, actually, in '72 and between '72 and '73, the you know the years prior to the Hearst uh, kidnapping, um, there's over 4,000 bombs planted across America. So, you know, the not only are we having protests, it's going far beyond peaceful protests, and people are just randomly blowing up shit. So, yeah, one Ken Krantz set at a time. <laughs> nice. There you what go. Are you saying? No, I just say I, I I wasn't I was born in the late seventies, right? So I don't I don't remember any of this obviously, but it seems like I know the episode you guys done Altamont, which was really entertaining. You yes, did sir. it right around Christmas, right? Um, and you guys kind of plug that at everybody does peg that as like the end of the sixties of like the hope and we can all hold each other's hands and get better as a country, right? And the seventies <laughs> seemed to be just like the 
backlash of, nah, we ain't doing that. Yeah. We're bombing mm-hmm. stuff. Excellent um, point. Yeah. Peace, the peace, whole and 80s was that and cocaine. The, 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 <laughs> the 80s was we just gave up, right? Let's be greedy and do coke and party and have fun while we can. Right. Um, but the 70s, I feel like, when my right was saying, it was almost like the, the bad side of the coin where the 60s was a better side. Is that, right. is that fair? Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Sweeping generalization. I right, seems right. like it's always I've looked into it. <laughs> yeah. And then locally, where, where Patty's uh, from in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, we've got a, a guy by the name of the Zodiac Killer who's already slaughtered five people and is suspected that- Did you, you see know, that they found his true identity? Far more. No, I did not. Christian Cordes. Oh, really? Oh, damn. Damn. Really? <laughs> got him. Really? I wonder. Did he leave a piece of his glasses on the glass <laughs> scene or something? <laughs> But he botched the last killing because he couldn't see the victim properly. <laughs> DNA off the off of his glasses. All right, whatever. Go uh, just walk it off. <laughs> Someone right, well, just lost our sound engine. Another protest. <laughs> yeah, really. So I mean, in the middle of all of this, I mean, the, you know, the Vietnam War and uh, Nixon, and there's all kinds of shit. There's a lot of turmoil, and then uh, now we finally have. Uh, Patty Hearst being abducted. I mean, this uh, rich girl is now being abducted, kidnapped by these uh, ultra radical. Uh, uh, well, they're technically it's weird. counterculture people. Yeah, so counterculture. So it's going to fall in line with uh, what would be considered like far left politics, right? So her kidnappers were an ultra left wing domestic terrorist group known as the Symbionese. That's what we're going to call it, pronouncing it. Uh, Liberation Army, or the SLA for short. Yeah. SLA, please. Yeah. SLA is a whole (laughs) Easy edit. Easy (laughs) edit. Um, But yeah, these were no fly-by-night keyboard warriors here. This group already had uh, (laughs) some infamy to them, all right? And the attention of law enforcement due in large part to their killing of a guy by the name of Marcus Foster, all right? In short, Marcus Foster was the target of the group's ire before the whole Patty Hearst incident. Foster was killed by SLA members with hollow point bullets loaded with cyanide. Yeah, just to make sure. Let's shoot this guy, but let's put some cyanide in the, yeah. in the bullets as well. So If, if he survives, he ain't going to do it for long. Right. <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah. I just got bit by a spider. Oh, crap, it's half a snake, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, dude, that's James Bond villain shit. Well, right it's, it's, it's Austin Powers. It's the sharks with a laser cannon. <laughs> <down their head. laughs> How many ways you got to kill this guy? Right. Oh, it's perfect. It's, oh, my God. You deserve a hot meal. Um, <laughs> smoking a pancake, please. It's, uh, but oddly enough, this left-wing group, uh, they thought of Marcus Foster as a fascist because uh, there was this rumor that he was intending to use ID cards for school children in the district that he was, uh, the by the way, the first African-American superintendent uh, in this, uh, it was Oakland, California, I believe. Yeah, school superintendent. Yeah. So he's the first black superintendent of this district. And then a left-wing group is going to call him a uh, fascist and have him assassinated uh, for this idea that he was going to have these uh, ID cards for these school kids. Uh, anyway, it turns out that was actually false. He was against that. He had another idea <laughs> instead of that, but they killed him for it anyway. Right. Wow. Right. Yeah. You want to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. <laughs> I, I do not believe that. That's that's wrong. Uh, I, I had an omelet today, so it works. Your logic checks out on that one. Um, now, curiously enough, two members of the SLA are then going to be arrested for the murder of Marcus Foster. One of them later had the conviction overturned. And the other is still to this day serving a life sentence in San Quentin Penitentiary. All right. So at least he got to see Metallica that one time. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the SLA is about to be national news, though. In a brief recap for those who don't know about our uh, our excellent episode on William Randolph Hearst, 
Dad, just uh, 10 seconds or less. William Randolph Hearst for the for the masses, if they haven't heard that one, so we know what kind of money Patty's coming from. Uh, well, yeah, William <clears throat> Clear, clear throat into the microphone, into please. The, we have wait, a very wait, good People are paying good money for this. A little something for your ears. <laughs> um, William Randolph Hearst is a, is a very wealthy guy. He built his empire uh, through the media. Uh, he actually inherited uh, his – he got his start from his father who made a lot, a lot of money in mining and other uh, financial uh, interests. But anyhow, uh, his father, William Randolph Hearst's father um, – after he bombed out of Harvard, gave him uh, money to buy a newspaper, and he just rolled that into one newspaper after another, got into a big um, publishing challenge, if you will, with uh, Pulitzer. Yeah, that, that Pulitzer, yep. the guy that, that oh, we, prized we his name in depth on that one. <laughs> um, you know, he is really the guy that's credited with the whole term of yellow journalism, which... Um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be true as long as it's a good story. Print it, and you know, just get the people involved yeah. with Here's this. Here's a little yellow journalism that uh, Angelo appreciates. A guy starting at a, a comedy scene. Great show. Everyone killed tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yellow <laughs> journalism. <laughs> I will also put a social media post where there's four people and in an audience photographed in a way to look like 400 people in an audience mm-hmm. as yellow journalism. Right. Just that, do a close-up on the... Yeah. Uh, and if there's no one in the crowd, just zoom in. That's all you right. got to do. Zoom in on the six people that are here, and it makes it look like the whole place is packed. But William Randolph Hearst, one of the most influential men in the, the history of America, comes from big, 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 big bucks. Yeah, right, so big bucks that, uh, you know, he he takes daddy's money and, and rolls it into this whole huge empire where he's now got newspapers across the, across the country uh, you know, nationwide. It's not just local to uh, the California area. Um, and he goes into other interests too. I mean, he was, it was really the Hearst uh, group that really started the first television uh, studio and uh, a broadcasting studio and that type of thing. So he's got a lot, a lot of bucks. Hearst is also the guy that's credited for really starting the uh, the Spanish-American War by mm-hmm. by printing uh, falsehoods in his newspaper and getting the uh, the common man, the public, all fired up about the atrocities that the Spanish were doing against the uh, our poor Cuban uh, little brothers in, uh, in Cuba. Um, to give you an idea of the wealth, the Hearst family today, today, even today, <laughs> Uh, it's the 23rd. The Hearst family is the 23rd wealthiest uh, uh, family in the world. Uh, they're estimated to Not be America. The world. The world. The world, right. Are um, they still doing some of the businesses that- Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they, you know, Papa Hearst, William Randolph Hearst, did lose a good chunk of his fortune during the Depression, but was able to, you know, the family was able to bounce back um, to uh, today. They're estimated to be worth about uh, 24.5 billion uh and which is comparable to what we make on patreon so <laughs> yeah, right. well that's a week i mean <laughs> and then uh uh patricia hurst herself uh it's estimated that today patricia hurst is probably worth around 50 mil so i'm a little a little concerned <laughs> about this episode today that uh you know the hurst family still has got some some, some juice. Yeah. They got some juice. Uh, let's just put it that way. So, um, again, Angelo's book is nice. stand up. <laughs> <laughs> to put it go. in even simpler terms, pick, 
actual human Scrooge McDuck. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. It's you go. Uh, it, it would not shock me on that one here. Too. Giant yeah. money pit somewhere in the in the in the Hearst Mansion. And and Patty Hearst's grandfather, William Randolph Hearst. I mean, he was an influential guy not only because of his finances, but he also got involved with politics. Uh, became very close to. Uh, um, running for a presidential nomination um, on the Democratic uh, National Convention back in 1904. And he was also real close to becoming mayor of New York and the governor of the state of New York. And he only missed by very narrow margins. So, you know, he's he's got people, inf- influential people that uh, he can he can tap on the shoulder. And uh, so I say now, Patty actually was born after William Randolph died. And his fortune, his inheritance went to his five sons, of which Patty Hearst's father was one of the correct one of the five sons that inherited all of uh, William Randolph Hearst's money. But yeah, so she's she's got she's got connections. Pretty for good sure. person to uh, kidnap here. Now, interestingly enough, uh, when you got that much money, Angelo, uh, you're thinking, you know, because I know you're big on the hip hop scene and everything like that too. That uh, there's usually there's some bodyguards following around the more high profile acts, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I sometimes have bodyguards myself. I, sometimes <laughs> I need them. Um, even local celebrities need security. But no, you'd think anybody with that kind of money would be guarded all of the time. Also, interesting question for the room. If your family's got that kind of money, why do you go to college? That's what's, a, a, what's a bachelor's <laughs> in art history going to do for you if you got $500 specific, million? Dollars? Well, I mean, right, you buy a museum at that point. Why would you go to college? <laughs> right, right. Buy a museum and let her run it, right? Yeah. yeah. The real question is, uh, what good is an art history degree Period. And then it's <laughs> right. It's good when you're rich. Yeah. I, I mean, it is. It's definitely a uh, a rich person's uh, field to go into. Very interesting stuff, but not exactly profitable. Angela's right on that. Yeah, you can get certificated though. That way, you're more inclined to sell your art. From right. your store to the, other, exactly. to the rich, yeah, rich people, people that mommy and daddy know. So. Yeah, I think it's, like I think in that case, you want to go to college if you want to like have a fun time and party for four years away from your family, or you want to join an extreme left, possibly terrorist group and bomb people and rob banks and do what this woman did. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's not true. what you and want again, to do on a Saturday night. Right. Yeah, well, you could always join the Navy. I mean, yeah. there's that. It's <laughs> and, and it's interesting too. I think that it, you know, and the various research that I went through, nobody was really coming out and saying it, but. She is now shacked up with Stephen Weed, who is older than she is, and Mom and Dad did not really encourage that at all. They were they were pissed off about that. Bohemian and her ma- you know, besides the Stephen Weed was her math teacher from the Catholic high school that she went to, um, and she actually switched over to Berkeley. And I think it was like uh, you know. Uh, Go, you know, f you, mom and dad. Yeah. I, I'm I'm going to Berkeley and I'm shacking up with this guy because if it pisses you off, hey, that, all the more reason that I'm going to go do it. That's the vibe I got. That she just from maybe not day one, but maybe late teenage years, just wanted to upset her family as much as possible. She wanted me to get the first <laughs> Paris Hilton. Like it's there. I'm going to get all of this money, and even though my family made it in like like old school traditional ways, I'm going to do what's hot now, which for Paris Hilton was social media, reality TV stuff. Her father would never do, right? Right. When this, I'm going to go away to college to a very liberal school in a very liberal city and, and be part of that world, even though my, my, my family's writing papers that are the complete opposite of that. Uh, and it, it's strange, too, because then this, uh, uh, as we were saying earlier, that you would think that there'd be some security following her around a little bit, too, but she wasn't exactly, she's valuable, but she's not, um, she's not a valuable asset at the time. She's not in charge of any of the family money just yet. But 
the uh, SLA, this terrorist group that's going to wind up abducting her, they had to go through, I mean, when you talk about like going the extra mile to find out how to get a hold of her or to kidnap her, um, local newspaper printed her address in her uh, engagement announcement to nice, Mr. Weed. Nice. Yeah. So they just yeah. read, they're like, hey, did you guys know that right down the street from us is this billionaire princess that we can kidnap? <laughs> yeah. Because the SLA was actually using uh, locally within a couple of blocks of where uh, Patty and Stephen Weed were living together. Um, they had their hideout just for, you know, their headquarters, if you will, quote unquote, uh, just a couple of blocks from where uh, Stephen Weed and Patty were, were living together. And um, like you say, it was a, their, their engagement announcement um, that was printed in the newspaper. And the, the college, Berkeley, would print out where everybody's address, where, where everybody was living. So it wasn't. It didn't take a rocket scientist yeah. to figure out where these people are. Holy, holy shit! You like mean two blocks them. away? We yeah. can we can go put the you know the, the grab on uh, little Miss Rich. I'd like Rich for them Bridges. to have broken into the wrong place first, and it's just Brad Pitt from True Romance. Oh yeah. man, no, you're looking for Patty. Yeah, she's like one block down, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Come back with cleaning supplies. Um, <laughs> the initial kidnapping of Hearst, by the way, because they do kidnap her. Uh, their goal is to leverage the use of her wealthy family into getting their two incarcerated members, the ones that murdered Marcus Foster, out of jail. When that idea doesn't work out, the SLA then shifts their plans and they demand a ransom to be paid. But again, they're they're uh, they're far left groups. They have to do evil, terrible things, but so that they can make everything better. That's that's their, their logic <laughs> on this one. But we're helping you by blowing up this shit. Yeah, and um, the whole thing was 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 crazy too because she's kidnapped on February the fourth, nineteen seventy four, and they don't hear from the uh, from her captors until a couple of days later. It wasn't until uh, uh, February sixth where the SLA finally contact the family with their demands. So, I mean, and meanwhile, there's a, a freaking media circus. I mean, Patty, I mean, William Randolph Hearst. A Paris Hilton grand, level type Granddaughter name, yeah. has just been kidnapped. I mean, that's just a whole media circus at the at the Hearst uh, family residence kind of a thing where they set up shop waiting for the kidnappers to contact them. And then finally on uh, February the 12th, they, they hear a recording from her daughter, right? They hear a, a recording. Uh, Mom, Dad. Patty said, I'm with a combat unit that's armed with automatic weapons. I won't get out of here. I just hope you'll do what they say. So, I mean, that was, that was her plea um, to another, mom and dad. Yeah, there's another voice on there in the recording as well that we'll get to here in a second. Um, but this initial demand that they're making uh, is going to be to get the guys out of jail. That's not going to work out. So the next demand they make is uh, they demand a ransom to be paid, but in the form of food for the poor community in the San Francisco area. They actually had a plan put together that was going to provide $70 of food for every needy Californian, which potentially could have cost up to more than $400 million. So still a pretty hefty ransom, but like, but it's for a good cause, right? We'll just write it off. Just write it off. Um, her father immediately personally donated $2 million worth of food in what was known as Operation People in Need. But at the uh, the centers to disperse this food, actually violence started breaking out because the mobs were descending upon the people trying to get the, the crates in. So they started throwing the crates out and they actually hurt a couple of people. So there was actually violence and some fight, yeah. uh, fist fights at these food drop-offs. It became points. a complete shit show with uh, trying to uh, – op- pe- people in need. Uh, you know, These that- guys just sound like they're winging it. 
<laughs> like, it's they're very very organized and they're also it, it's a little i don't want to say this because it, it's a, a comparison that people aren't going to be able to unhear it's a little bit like antifa we're like okay cool i get this whole thing but then then they're also like and they don't know how to fight <laughs> so, so, yeah now these guys know how to fight a little bit we'll get to that here in a I, there's also an element of like it's a, it's an okay idea to give four million dollars worth of food to every needy person in area, right? Of course. But if you just tell all of them to come and take it at their own free will, there's a chance that it's not going to go well. well right? Like, <laughs> if they were a little smarter, they would. Right. Hey, they're giving away free like, shit. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Hey, every struggling person in San Francisco, come to this address at this time and fight it out over you know, boxes of Oreos. Like, I think to, you would distribute this to the houses. You would have a better plan to get this out to people. Right. Free right? food, free food, yeah. free food. <laughs> it's essentially Black Friday, but with free food. And it's in, a, you know, that part of, California, where they thought it would be a great idea to put out uh, free needles. So right. that, uh, when, the, when the doors open at 6, there's a, there's a stampede, <laughs> right? It's the truth, man. And uh, unfortunately, due to the chaos of that, uh, the SLA then announces that they're not going to release Patty Hearst. So her father has already put $2 million of his money up and, and did as far uh, in terms of complying with uh, you know, the, the people who have kidnapped his daughter. That made me think of something. When I was a kid, my parents had a Rodney Dangerfield cassette tape that we would listen to ad nauseum on car trips. And I, what, this is, when I was a kid, it's the funniest joke I ever heard. He goes, when I was a kid, I got kidnapped, and the kidnapper sent my family the thumb. And my dad sent a letter back that said, we need more proof. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Rodney. No, I thought about it immediately when I read the story that hit, my, hit me again. Get no respect. Oh, man. No, home run, as always. <laughs> well, there's a, we're going to enter a little bit of a, I don't want to call him the villain of this story here, but he's definitely the guy that, uh, there's a little, um, for those who know that I have my uh, Kurt Russell obsession, Escape from L.A., uh, is a, a movie that I enjoy very much. And the uh, president's daughter in Escape from L.A. is a little bit of like an airhead version of Patty Hearst. So the guy who winds up corrupting her is this kind of Che Guevara type looking dude. And uh, it, it's interesting, but I think we're going to get into that, that guy here now. So uh, during her captivity, the SLA will keep Patty Hearst blindfolded, but will allow her to eat with the SLA members as long as she's still wearing her blindfold and take part in the political discussions that they're having, where it's like, all right, you know, I mean, I imagine it's like hanging out with comics, where everybody's like, oh, it's going bullshit, you know, blah, blah, so-and-so. Yeah, that club, they don't use me over there, man. But, uh, but they allow her to come out and uh, and take part. So uh, she's also granted such amenities as a flashlight for reading, and the reading materials, wouldn't you know it, Dad, yeah. somehow managed to be SLA literature. So she's reading their propaganda. That's the whole thing there. Yeah, no, she, she had to memorize it too, right? That's yeah, in there somewhere, right. right? She had sections she had to memorize of that, and it was a uh, it was a goofy scenario, man. But it's definitely starting to sound a little bit like what's the word of the day, folks? Brainwashing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but again, though, going back to what you said right from the beginning, we're getting all of this from Patty. This is her recollection of what was going on. An unreliable she was, narrator. That she was locked in a closet. And she was blindfolded and, and all this type of stuff. And she was only allowed out of the closet, still blindfolded, to eat and take part in these various you know, political discussions with the SLA. Um, yeah, so and then there was a, a magic switch, I guess, that was flipped that she started uh, starting to believe. Well, the head of the SLA, or one of the heads of the SLA, I should say, is a guy by the name of uh, Donald DeFries. And he begins telling Hearst that the War Council, right? And again, you don't even know how much of this shit is just him blowing it up. Or this girl has no idea where she is. She's a fucking college kid. She got kidnapped. She's been in a closet for right, a week. Right, she's a 19-year-old. Yeah. Um, 
The members of the War Council are trying to decide between killing her and absorbing her as a member of the SLA. So her grandfather's empire was built on capitalism and was he was known for being infamously staunchly anti-communist. That's actually what caused his flip from going from Democrat to Republican. Uh, was he, he was just so opposed to uh, communism. But uh, the SLA is built off the ideas of Mao and uh, their heavy duty with uh, knee-deep in Marxism, with uh, heavy attention on such contemporary figures for them at the time as Che Guevara. Uh, che Guevara in the early 70s for the counterculture crowd, he was like their, their, their hero. I can't tell you how many uh, posters of Che Guevara were up on various dorm rooms that, you know, power to the people. I know, oddly enough, a lot of those posters and t-shirts are available in chain stores now. Yeah, very <laughs> right, right. Walmart's probably got a special going. Yeah, like the great ironies, of course. It was straight, yeah. One of the strangest developments ever. Right. <laughs> great point. Um, now, by slowly extending what would be considered kindnesses to Patty, as she was being brainwashed into agreeing with the uh, righteousness of the cause of her captors, the SLA, we're starting to see what is more commonly known as Stockholm Syndrome. And Stockholm Syndrome is where a victim begins to side with their abuser, like a grown man who roots for the Jets. Nice. Um, nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, no, in this way, and, and Stockholm Syndrome is brand new. It had just occurred in Stockholm, Sweden, of course. But it was uh, uh, people who were um, victims, if you will, of a bank robbery started bonding heavily with their captors. And it's like, a, it's a weird psychological phenomenon. Do you know anything about that coming into this? Yeah, decent amount. Um, and I make a joke. I, I My day job is in athletics, right? And this happens sometimes in teams, like teams and coaches where there's no, while the season's happening, it's a disaster as you're going through it. And then the day after the last game, people are like, oh man, that was a great time, wasn't it, bro? Like, no, it wasn't. It was all, it was all horrible. Why are you brainwash you off that it wasn't that bad. But we, like, I feel like in certain worlds, and in the military it might be the same for you, I'm not sure, the rose-colored glasses come on so quick. Oh, um, yeah, bad. Yeah. Um, comedy world, maybe even the same thing. Like you deal with a, a club books you three times a year and throws you 25 bucks a show. And then you're like, man, those are great times. I can't wait till next time. And you're like, really? wait a second. I spent $75 in gas to get to a $25 show. That guy, and the guy never offered to buy me a drink. He's kind of a jerk, but like, ah, that's my boy. Is that kind of the same thing? Right. I, I, I feel like, is he talking about me right now? I don't even know. <laughs> getting, a little, getting a little close to home. I, I can come do your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're, you're right, dude. It, it's it's knee deep. There is some, uh, uh, some mental illness at play here to begin with. And uh, by the way, rather compelling figure, this Donald DeFries guy who, uh, by the way, just for the story here, just so people know, when you, you take a look at him, he, he kind of looks like um, uh, a young uh, Isaac Hayes. That's kind of what he looks like a little bit to me. And it's a, Yeah, he's, he's – yeah. Okay, I'll go with that. So down to freeze. He's already been arrested, by the way, for armed robbery and has already escaped from prison. Oh, he's a known, he's a known bad guy. For yeah. Sure. Well, yeah. He, he must have been pretty convincing. He's, he's not uh, total power for the people kind of a thing. He's power for uh, <laughs> Me, himself. Myself, and I. Yeah, you understand, exactly. our violence is for a good cause, man. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> but uh, it gets pretty wild. He must be a pretty convincing and compelling uh, uh debater or a philosophical discussion, you know, a little bit, maybe a little Andy High Roller to him. Who knows, man? He's a little bit of an enigma. <laughs> I would and say, though, if, if a guy like that stumbles upon a woman that wants to upset her family, this is a home run, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's everything you could want in someone that would, affect, that would upset your rich white dad. 
right? right. He's he's not white. He's, he's some ethnicity, right? Think, he's, a he's, crim- black, yeah. he's a known criminal. He got the, the gift of gab that could talk his ass off, like, why I'm cool, <laughs> why you should like me. It would literally be like my daughter, June, dating, rest in peace, DMX in 20 years. That's what we're looking at. <laughs> I think he was black just because he wore sunglasses inside. That's usually right. the telltale sign. <laughs> well, I, I think that the political terrorist leaders you're one of the most afraid of are the ones with sensitive eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and just coming in fast and furious, folks. Yeah. It's um if you a great setup too, because now DeFreeze uh gift of gab, like you just said, dude, perfect uh, uh way to phrase that because he actually convinces and here's the, the timeline on this. People think it takes longer than it actually did. Um from uh February fourth to April third of that year, one hell of a march, all right, it must have been. Uh Hearst yeah. has gone from kidnapped victim of the SLA to on April 3rd of that year, announcing herself as now a card-carrying member of the SLA and going under a new name of Tanya. The name Tanya being chosen to honor one of Che Guevara's female comrades, who was a East German-Argentinian-born woman, which probably means her family fled from Germany in the 1940s. <laughs> Maybe they had to get out of Dodge. Um, but the name Tanya is now what she's going to be going by. And between the brainwashing of the political uh, literature that she's being given and being forced to memorize uh, all these things by her captors, Hearst could have just been playing along in fear for her life. But here's that part we were talking about, guys. According to differing accounts, Hearst chose willingly to join the SLA instead of being released, or she was forced to join them just for, you know, so they would avoid killing her. So it, in your heart of hearts right now, Ange, where are you kind of leaning? Because I feel bad for her up front, and then you start to stop to feel bad. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know. I, re- I my my first response is she engineered this whole thing to upset her family, and she just wanted to be a, a radical leftist, and they said, "quote unquote" help people by causing violence, right? <laughs> um, but then I don't know, man. If you're locked up like that for close to two months, and you're with a guy that's very charismatic and talks you into his beliefs, do you eventually be like, "Do I want to?" Like the joke I do this joke on stage a lot, which is, if your life's really bad and you go to an escape room. Why would you try to escape? It's better than what you got to go back. <laughs> like, <laughs> which it doesn't ever get that good of a response on stage for some reason. But like, if you if you didn't like being the rich heiress to the Hearst family, and now somebody introduces this new option to you, maybe you're like, oh, I could I could do this. This could be all right. You know, I, I agree. Firm I, agree. And then you, I mean, I, I don't know. And how mentally healthy was she? How stable was she to begin with? That maybe she was just easily brainwashed. I don't. I don't know. What do, you, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, that's an art student, so you know, it's not a, a you're not dealing with you know the utmost care to begin with. And obviously, she led a sheltered life up until the up until the point of the kidnapping, kind of a thing, with all the private schools that she went to and everything else. And you know, she was not, she didn't have to uh, brown bag her lunch uh, going to school, kind of a thing. She yeah, was, she like, <laughs> she went she went to schools without any bad kids. Like she's never been around like, the bad kids on like, in the cafeteria before. But here's a, here's a question I should have researched, and I'm sorry I didn't. No, did this perfect. group did this group brainwash in air quotes anybody else, or is she the only one they've ever supposedly brainwashed and turned to their side? Now from that's the opposite a great, side of that's that's a great a lot question of because I didn't find anything else that uh, you know. How did the other members of the SLA uh, come into their into their fold? Yeah, like, and that, what what one thing that I did read was that the FBI had a really difficult time in infiltrating the SLA because they they left no 
<laughs> There's no, they left no inroads. There was no, you know, uh, fill out the application and come on in kind of a thing. Or, you know, you, you're not going to become a, a hell's angel kind of a thing and, and, and crack, Ooh, good crack that yeah. gang um, by um, infiltrating them by posing as, uh, you know, an undercover agent type. Because almost thing. everyone, they're all Ivy League people. They're all, there's a lot of friends on Ivy League campuses. And then almost all of them, if you went into what they could have done or what their majors were, there was a, one kid was like going to be an anesthesiologist. Uh, another kid was going to meet. These are all degree holding domestic terrorists that we're dealing with. So Hell's Angels, blue. Uh, if Hell's Angels is blue collar, this is white collar kind of Hell's nice. Angels type of thing here. So they're a little bit of a mess. But uh, another member of the SLA, a woman by the name of uh, Angela Atwood, who was going by the name of uh, General Galena. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they gave they, everybody yeah. gave themselves a, a highfalutin. This title. is like the original Justice League. Like, <laughs> I'm Bruce Wayne, but I'm also Batman. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, Angela Atwood wanted to show Hearst. Uh, she thought that uh, Patty Hearst should understand what sexual freedom was all about, and uh, orchestrated it that Patty was then raped by uh, Donald DeFries and another guy by the name of Willie Wolf who was, uh, again, another member of the SLA here. Wolf was going to be, uh, I think he was heading towards being a doctor or something like that. But uh, Atwood, by the way, uh, like we said, known as General Galena, founding member of the SLA, her voice can be heard on the ransom tape that's demanding, uh, making the original demands from the Hearst family. All right. And Atwood is a, a white girl born in, you want to guess, Kahuna? North Haldon, New Jersey. <laughs> North Haldon, New yep. Jersey. Jersey tie <laughs> And we didn't even have to go far for it, okay? Pat Dowden, I know you're listening. Um. <laughs> North Haldon is the town seceded from Patterson? Correct. Right, they were like, we don't want to be part of Patterson anymore. Is that right? Yes, and there was also <laughs> labor stuff that was going on, because Patterson's weird, because you have East and West Patterson. Yeah. both changed their names. So now it's Elmwood Park and Woodland Park. Uh, North Haldon was always... Always North Haldon. It was Haldon and North Haldon. Which is just a little uh, outside of Patterson, but they were never really, they never had a, a Patterson uh, nameplate. Gotcha. But okay. Elmwood Park was formerly East Patterson, um, uh, and uh, Woodland Park was formerly West Patterson. Okay, cool. I mean, anyway, so they I chopped you. off the Patterson to take away that connotation. Yeah, of, fair. Uh, Similarly to the way this season the Lakewood Blue Claws became the Jersey Shore Blue Claws. <laughs> <laughs> we acknowledge why they won't be Lakewood anymore, but we all kind of know. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. If, my if, God. If, if, the only way to love that joke more is if you've just ever been stuck in traffic in Lakewood. You understand what we're meaning. <laughs> Home run joke. Yeah. Home run. <laughs> Now, by the way, I, it, you might be asking, why did it matter that I mentioned that uh, Angela Atwood is white? Uh, that's because her voice on the ransom tape, she put on a black woman affectation. So she did a, a audio blackface, if you will, to try to leave to, to leave it. <laughs> the childlike laughter out of Kahuna just got me. That warmed my heart a little bit. I, I hate that I live in a world where that didn't affect me at all because like, I've heard it so many times, but it was so new to Kahuna. That was lovely. <laughs> Well, this was it's, uh, the, it's the reverse. Uh, it's reverse making your voice sound white when you're a black telemarketer. <laughs> <laughs> so she puts on a, an affectation, if you will, and this is what uh, her, her quote is on the tape: uh, "The dream, and it is a dream of many of us on the left, is that the enemy corporate state will willingly give the stolen riches of the earth back to the people, and that this will be accomplished through compromising talk and empty words. To this, our bullets scream loudly." The enemy's bloodthirsty greed will be destroyed by the growing spirit of the people and their thirst for freedom. 
We call upon the people to judge for themselves whether our tactics of waging struggle are correct or incorrect in fighting the enemy by any means necessary. <laughs> Sounds like the original Rachel Dolezal. That's <laughs> Just keeps getting better and better. Oh, the hits just keep on coming. <laughs> just keep... Well, now, can I say one thing? Of course. In the summer of 2015, there was a week where the news was completely dominated by the Rachel Dolezal story and uh, Alec Baldwin screaming at his teenage daughter on an answering <laughs> machine. And for my money, still six years later, that's the greatest week of network news ever. It was pretty great. <laughs> it was amazing. It was, everything was great. Ireland Baldwin, you poor gal. She turned out okay. Follow her on Instagram. Um, <laughs> so now on April 3rd, the announcement has been made that Hearst brainwashing was complete. And just a few days later, she's going to participate in a bank robbery. Yeah, now this whole brainwashing kind of a thing, though, that really didn't come into play until late later. But We didn't know what we were doing. Because, you know? again, the, the media is just going crazy with this. Because now first you had this... This young, innocent college girl that's kidnapped by these radical uh, domestic terrorists. And now all of a sudden she's flipped and she's making out this tape that she's professing that these people are right. And I'm part of them. And my new name is Tanya. And it's no longer going to be Patty Hearst. Hi, Tanya. You know, yeah, the, nice. uh, you know, and uh, what, you know, these are fighting words that uh, bullets are better than uh, than than talk that uh, we're, we're we're taking this to the to the uh, to the battlements. Well, uh, she's um, she's not helping. She's actively involved in the events that are about to unfold here. Uh, April 15th, wielding an M1 carbine, which would be called an assault rifle by nowadays standards and lack of gun knowledge. Um, Hearst is reported to have screamed, I'm Tanya, up against the wall, motherfuckers. <laughs> a little bit of a Pulp Fiction opening yeah. scene there. Any of you, mother. <laughs> <laughs> hey, real quick, Pulp Fiction, you could argue, was influenced by that bank robbery. And yes. someone walking into a bank and announcing their name before the robbery Absolutely. actually happens. Right. Um, also, this says Tones of the Big Lebowski in it, with Tara Reid's character possibly staging her own kidnapping. Uh, it's there, um, too. Yeah, so it's a, two great movies yeah. were influenced by this. These are nihilists, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and again, the SLA is going for the big media play here, because who better to uh, kidnap than the granddaughter of the king of media, the newspaper king, uh, William Randall yeah, Hearst. modern so, day Rupert Murdoch. So, yeah, I, I so was going to go, this would be like kidnapping one of Howard Stern's kids, the king of all media, or <laughs> yeah, one of Wendy yeah. Williams' children, the queen of all media. Oof, two for two on that one. <laughs> but, uh, and, and not, now, not the same thing as your dad's referring to. As <laughs> yeah, LP but now, too, in, in, the, uh, in the 70s, um, more and more of this is going to be on the on the evening news that people are no longer getting their news from newspaper but now they're going to get it from um from, they're going to get their news from the watching the TV they're going to be watching Walter Correct. Cronkite and the rest of everybody else so we now we need film of of uh, our cause if you will so let's go rob a bank where they knew there was going to be video cameras rolling so that the video all of this would be on tape with Patty, now known as Tanya, screaming up against the wall, motherfucker. And she's, she's brandishing an M1 car. It's a, so. a made-for-TV crime. Oh, it's oh yeah. Make, it's a, it's a, it's a pre-viral YouTube video. Well, she's, uh, it, this is also a violent robbery, too, because uh, two people are going to be shot because they enter the bank during the robbery. Um, now, uh, Hearst, I'm sorry, Tanya, Tanya, uh, would later rescue an, a fellow SLA member when he was confronted in the parking lot for shoplifting. So this guy's getting busted for shoplifting. 
Uh, Hearst will then see the store manager following this guy out of the store to confront him in the parking lot. And then as the two of them are engaging in a scuffle, Hearst will actually begin shooting near him but not at him. So she just comes out and just starts shooting up in the air kind of a thing and yeah. uh, to, to end the scuffle. And then as he flees for cover, Hearst will continue firing to this guy. The store manager just came out to try to stop a, a shoplifter. Going to keep shooting at him until it gets closer and closer until they can make their escape. So, Yeah, the, the uh, these two members, fellow members of uh, Tanya, <laughs> William Harris and Emily Harris, they're a husband and wife team. They go into a sporting goods store, and the brain children that they are, they decide, well, they're going to shoplift. And they get caught by the store manager while they're shoplifting. And the guy runs out of the store chasing after them. Meanwhile, now this this is one of those things where is she really a member or isn't she? You know, is she a captive? Uh, has she been completely turned uh-huh. or whatever? But she's across the street in the van with the keys that if she wanted to, she could just you know, turn the turn the van on and drive away. I'm out of here. This is my final opportunity to escape. But she doesn't. She jumps out of the van and starts firing automatic fire over the head of the store manager. He's shooting. She's shooting up the front of the store. This guy's dropping for cover to rescue the the two idiots that just tried to <laughs> shoplift this guy. They jump in the van and they speed. You know, they speed away. So she was really credited with rescuing these two from from captive. Um, can, can I unpack this for a second? There's a couple <laughs> things I found odd when I read this recollection. You just gave a great, a great version of. Um, number one, if you're married, you should be past shoplifting. You should not be shoplifting <laughs> as a couple. Right. Number two, if you're, you I, if you're starving and you're gonna go pocket a raw steak and Aldi, I get it. You gotta eat. Right? I'm not. I, I don't steal yeah. myself, but I understand well, how that. Put happens. one steak down you're, your pants and walk out. You're you a sporting goods store. You don't need hockey pads. Like what were these people? <laughs> yeah. I gotta get a lacrosse stick and risk my life for it. But then, could you imagine in a world we live in today, a dick sporting goods employee chasing someone out of the store and possibly taking bullets to stop somebody from stealing a soccer ball? Yeah. Like the world's changed so much since this. They None of this could happen today. True, and it's uh, uh, that the laws have changed around it uh, too. The um, now this one thing hasn't changed. Sometimes, even though these are very smart kids, like you said, the the brain trust that's what going on over here, um, they wind up uh, abandoning their vehicle in order to make their getaway. And uh, after this incident, Hurst and the two SLA members, the Harrises, she just rescued. They hijacked two cars and took off with the owners still in them. Uh, one of the owners. <laughs> One of the owners, I swear yeah, to God. Well, now they're captains. Yes. Right. Uh, but one owner found Hearst to be so personable and polite. And, and you know, like, oh, this cute little college girl. She's like, hey, you know, it's like a thing. You know, I'm sorry. I'm like, you know, you're hot. Um, she actually uh, is so charming in this conversation that the person doesn't even want to report the crime when it's over. It's like, I mean, I got my car back. I guess it's all right. You know? Yeah. Um, it's proof that an attractive woman can get away with anything. Like talking during comedy like, shows? Yeah, like like <laughs> literally. So a woman commandeers yeah. your car by gunpoint, and you're just like, hey, so what are you doing later? I <laughs> know <laughs> oh, it's getting pretty serious. She, <laughs> she put the gun away. Um, best part of this whole thing, in that van that they abandoned, these are outlaws, Kahuna. They're not going to – they got machine guns. They're pulling off robberies. They're not paying parking tickets. I mean – Literally, they're not paying parking tickets. An unpaid parking ticket is found in the abandoned vehicle, and because there's an address on it, that gives away the safe house of the SLA to the authorities. You gotta be kidding! Are you serious? Yes, pay your parking. That's tickets. what. That's <laughs> what gives them away. Yes. Oh, I love it. 
Well, uh, oh. now even wilder is that authorities start heading over towards the safe house, but much of the SLA had already fled after seeing the information of Hearst and the other SLA members escaping in the parking lot on the news. So they said, oh, shit, we got to get out of here. It's not a safe house anymore. They wind up taking over another local house, and the next day, due to an anonymous phone call, it tipped them off to the SLA's new location, in which the result will be a bloody two-hour gunfight in which the SLA will fire over 4,000 rounds at local authorities, and local authorities, including the LAPD, uh, will fire back 5,000 rounds. So you're seeing almost 10,000 rounds exchanged between two. Two-hour gunfight, and it's all live on television. No way. Shit was was flying. It is uh, beyond wild. Yeah. That's crazy. Crazy. Was it was, was it national TV? Was it LA TV? Or how how was TV working back then? Was it? Could you watch it in New Jersey? I'm assuming local TV. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it's, a, it, it's a good fair point. question, right? Yeah. No, um, I would think at this time that, that that's national news. That, it would, that, yeah, so even that, on, even live, it went national. Absolutely, they could do that. absolutely. Because okay. again, we're we're dealing with Patricia Hearst. You know that the. Well, no, the, no, I was more like technology the wise. Name that going everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, was oh, that, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but I I believe that they went, got it out that everywhere went nationwide. Okay, yeah. cool. It'd be great, too, because if they, they covered it nowadays, it'd be even wilder, because you know this would be front-page story. Uh, Paris Hilton robs yeah. bank, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, but during this uh, gunfight here that's going on, it's thought to have been an exploding tear gas canister that will actually catch fire to the house um, that eventually killed the entrenched SLA members that were not shot by the authorities, because there were people that were killed uh, via gunfire. And the entire two-hour gunfight, like we said, broadcast live on television. At the conclusion of it, among the dead lay... Angela Atwood from New Jersey, uh, Donald DeFreeze, who uh, is the guy who was convincing her and also one of the accused rapists, and uh, Willie Wolf, who is the, uh, also got, uh, someone who was accused of having raped her. Uh, but they also said she had a romantic relationship with him. Patty so, Hearst? Yes, that Patty Hearst had a romantic relationship. was like a, a, a love interest. How long has she been missing? Not long oh. enough to make this logical. <laughs> yeah, uh, because been- after the kidnapping and the announcement and the bank robbery and stuff, they were they were going across the country with uh, you know a crime spree that I think lasted almost two years. So you know the the feds were looking for for these guys for quite some time. They were organized. They were not easy to come about. Uh, come about, like you said, Dad, because they're they're doing a good job covering their trail, minus the parking ticket and the weird little interactions here and there. Um, actually, after a a short since now, Patty, this was a, a great little one line too. Is that uh, I guess it was um, the home of it was, it was a black family that owned the home that they broke into, mm-hmm. and uh, so a a black girl who was like a neighbor was sleeping on the couch or something like that, and then she woke up. And all of a sudden, there's these people with guns and everything in the house there. And they ask, like, oh, hey, is uh, uh, I'm so-and-so we're with the uh, SLA. Is Patty Hearst here? And uh, she goes, I don't know. All white women look the same to me. <laughs> exact quote. You can look it up. It's there. Right? <laughs> oh, but, um, oh, my God. Post this, now they're trying to infiltrate. They're kind of going into the hills, if you will. Their uh, other SLA uh, members and sympathizers are going to hide them, if you will. And uh, after a short stint of making IEDs, additional burglary attempts, and attempting to reunite with other SLA members, like we said, Hearst will finally be arrested on September 18th, 1975, in San Francisco. On her arrest records, okay, as she's being processed, what do you think she put her name as? Did she leave out Hearst? She goes by Tanya. 
She goes uh, by Tanya. Goes by Tanya. What do you think she put down as her job, Angelo? Because this is my thing. When I have to file my taxes and I say comedian, I always feel like a fraud, but it's true. <laughs> uh, did she put like like a chauffeur or driver of some kind? <laughs> <laughs> Uber Eats. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, van, van driver. <laughs> Yeah, getaway. Wheel, wheel man for the getaway. What's your name? Tanya. Okay, Patty Hearst. All right. Uh, what do you oh do for a living? God. I'm an urban gorilla. Nice. I I'm, swear to God, that's yeah. what she says on her, her booking documents. I'm an urban gorilla. Yeah, I'm like part of like a counter-revolution. You wouldn't even understand. You're so dumb. <laughs> it's, but yeah. No, she, she doesn't. She puts down urban, urban gorilla. gorilla. It is written down. There's proof of it. Fuck uh, you, Patty. And also, also she goes, uh, as they're booking her, she goes, and I just want to send out all my love to all my brothers and sisters and the SLA, and uh, we're going to change the world, guys. We're going to change the world. So she's talking trash. It's almost like this is the moment where she's still not taking it truly serious, and then we're going to see, once she sort of realizes the gravity of the situation, it's about to get a little bit more intense because this is the part where the money factor of her background and the whole unreliable narrator thing really starts to play in heavy. Angela started us out by saying he doesn't really know how he feels about it. I don't know if Patty truly knows how she feels about it. Maybe she does, and she knew what she had to pivot to to try to move some things around here. But uh, interestingly enough, as she's being uh, looked over by medical staff and everything, I mean, this is huge news. Patty Hearst, uh, kidnapped girl, turned renegade, turned rebel, uh, on the run. Now she's been you know, captured. Is she okay? I mean, is what's going on here? We don't really know. We do know that she's lost a considerable amount of weight. She's down to like 86 pounds. She smokes like a chimney now, and she didn't smoke prior to this. Um, and uh, she's also down at least about 20 IQ points from what they could test her on, and she had huge memory gaps. Sounds like a smoke show home run to me. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are we describing Andy Highroller's dream girl? <laughs> Did you say daddy issues? <laughs> <laughs> Is Willie Wolf a black or a white guy? Willie Wolf was a white guy. So that was the one that she uh, supposedly had this romantic relationship with. Once she was emaciated and chain-smoking and stupid. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Were you going for a Black Snake Moan reference? <laughs> no, nah, not especially, no. Um, no. It would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh, it wouldn't be hard to argue, based off of the condition, that she possibly was physically abused during her time with the SLA. So that plays into a thing, well, if I'm an, an attorney for this family, and I know that they just want their daughter you know, back in their lives, you're going to start saying, like, Oh, okay, so really you're the victim in this if you really think about it, right? That kind of a thing. Uh, the idea of her being brainwashed is being thrown out all the time. The idea of her developing Stockholm Syndrome is coming into more and more effect. And the doctors who are evaluating her and her potential uh, for her to claim temporary insanity. <coughs> shout out Dan Sickles, lose reception. <laughs> yeah, got to make Sick that work. Right. Dan yep. Sickles was the first to use the temporary insanity uh, defense. However, Hearst, uh, by the way, would hope to get an acquittal on the grounds of her brainwashing. So her to get off these charges via brainwashing, there was no precedent for that at the time. So it's never been tried before, and uh, maybe it's no, never going to be tried again. We don't really know. But uh, what do you got, LP? No, that was the same The same idea, with the, the brainwashed, that, that she was brainwashed, so she really wasn't responsible for what she did. And also the whole, uh, it was the first time that that whole Stockholm Syndrome really came into play as a defense, as a legal defense. I mean, there was a Stockholm Syndrome because, again, it was only the year before where that whole um, bank robbery took place in, in Stockholm, um, Sweden, where the uh, the Syndrome first got its its name, if you will. But this is the first time that it was used as a legal defense. So, again, there's a, there's a lot of parallels to uh, Dan Sickles' view with the temporary insanity kind yeah, of a we're thing. We're going to get a good trial out of this, I right. think. Um, and... and 
the the family hires uh, one of the best. Do you want me to uh, interge- interject uh, who they're? Let's not speak ill of the dead, especially those who died today. Yeah, the the, the legal defense um, that the family hired. This to, is being uh, recorded on June third, twenty twenty one, and who just passed away today, Dad? F. Lee Bailey. And that's who the family hired, F. Lee Bailey. Yeah, that F. Lee Bailey, the, the lawyer that uh, um, defended Sam Shepard, who uh, was accused of murdering his wife. Yeah, the same F. Lee Bailey who uh, defended O.J. Simpson with the Nicole Brown Simpson case. Wow. Uh, yeah, that F. Lee Bailey who uh, defended uh, Albert DeSalvo, also known as the Boston Strangler. Uh, yeah, he had, a, he had a few cases. He had a few cases that uh, he became famous for. Well... F. Lee uh, Bailey uh, passed today. So it's an it amazing turn of events. I, I didn't know that until just now, actually. We That's killed him crazy. with this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to throw an idea out there that uh, maybe you guys being more history guys than me, maybe tell me I'm wrong. But I think when you look back like 500 years from now at like American history, the O.J. Simpson trial and the ripples that went out in both directions, past and present, like how many people like F. Lee Bailey in the past and the future like the Kardashians are linked into that. That might be like the centerpiece of American history. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. right. Like everybody involved in that has been the involved Genesis in so many events. other things. It's right. like the uh, like the O.J. Simpson case is to our legal system what like Kevin Bacon is to our entertainment industry. <laughs> <laughs> Six degrees of the O.J. trial. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I fucking love God. it. It's um it's going to be a, a good court case here though. The argument over brainwashing or free will is going to come into heavy heavy play during her trial. Her defense attorney, by the way, uh, F. Lee Bailey, appears, according to Hearst, hungover at times during the proceedings. <laughs> and uh, then uh, you said something on the car ride down, Dad, that uh, she believes that maybe uh, he just took the case so that he could uh, further his own agenda a little bit. Uh, yeah, well, and um, he did not successfully defend her. She she was, uh, you know, she was proved guilty and had to serve time. So it was after... After the trial, yeah, this is not a, a John Grisham novel. Right after after the trial, and she's she's going off uh, to serve some time. That's when she starts uh, bad mouthing F. Lee Bailey that he really didn't do a, a stand up job, and uh, he was really distracted because really what he sold me out because he wanted to write a book on the on the whole Patty Hearst kidnapping kind of a thing. So and, and again, public opinion is is being swayed back and forth, back and forth with, uh, with the media circus that this whole trial creates, too. Well, because part of it's, well, let, this is a, a cute girl. She's young. I mean, but this video of her with a gun in her hand is pretty damning. The testimony of the other members of the SLA is pretty damning. Um, she's kind of, uh, she's in a weird spot here. Do you feel bad for her? Is she mentally ill? Is she fit to stand trial? That was all stuff that was coming into play here. But uh, oddly enough, the prosecution showed that, because uh, a part of her defense, her defense attorney, again, uh, uh, F. Lee Bailey, uh, puts together an idea. Oh, uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Miss Hurst was raped uh, by uh, this Willie Wolf guy. And the prosecution then was able to show through testimony of other SLA members that uh, Willie Wolf, her alleged rapist, uh, is also someone she appeared to have genuine affection for because she had kept a piece of jewelry that was a gift from him to her that she was still like wearing around that time frame. She argued that it was part of like some sort of a, maybe a very valuable precious stone kind of a thing, an archaeological find. And everyone else is like, no, you were in love with Willie Wolf, and now you're trying to pretend like you weren't because he's dead. It so, was a paracord bracelet that they stole out of the uh, gun store, didn't they? That's a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With uh, another uh, – here's the parking ticket that you kept from Willie. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, Fun times we had together. 
Uh, well, it, it's it only gets better. Keepsake now, uh, box. The uh, <laughs> the jury's actually going to convict her, and uh, Hurst is going to be sentenced to thirty five years. Uh, and which is they actually said in the case too that if there ever was this idea that wealthy people get treated better by the law, it's absolutely not applicable in this case because she received the stiffest penalty possible. Now, here's the other thing. It's not about winning. It's like getting pulled over by the cops. You're not going to win an argument with the cop. You, you'll win in court. You won't win uh, during the... Uh, the, the, the oh, they're writing a the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> You're not winning that one. You win later down the line. So she gets sentenced to 35 years, gets it pled down to seven. How much time do you think she served, Kahuna? I'm going to say five years. Five years. Okay. Ange? Two. Two. Yep. Ange is right. Ange is actually, uh, he, he's almost over. It's 22 months that she winds right. up serving. So 22 months of this jail sentence uh, until she has her sentence commuted by President Jimmy Carter. So Jimmy Carter, the peanut farmer, gets her out of Dodge on that one. Uh, Patty, by the way, what do you do? Because now you're, you're uh, a woman, you're a very wealthy woman, you know, because you come from money. You were a revolutionary for a while. You were engaged in armed robbery. Uh, you were part of a domestic terrorist organization. Where else can you go? Hollywood, baby. Time to get into <laughs> acting. All right? That's right. She gets into acting. Uh, she winds up actually, she hosted a travel show on the Travel Channel. Uh, and then also gave tours of uh, the Hearst Castle, which is, uh, I mean, one of the great. I can't wait to get out. It's unbelievable. We did, could do a whole episode just in the Hearst Castle. Um, and then she also becomes, uh, meanwhile, she's also the, the poster girl of wealthy girls uh, turned revolutionaries. She's also winning dog show competitions with like little schnauzers and shit. <laughs> um, so she's a, a very interesting person here. And like you said, Dad, she's now worth a cool $50 million dollars. To this day, she's still alive, by the way, folks. All right. So when we get our cease and desist, we'll know why (laughs) (laughs) on this future band episode. (laughs) Yeah, we're gonna have to move this sucker to pay. When the mercenaries jump in through the through the door here with the battering (laughs) ram. Well, uh, interestingly enough, this is the part where some of it's really cool. Some of it gave me straight up chills. You said Kevin Bacon, right, earlier for the six degrees. Oh, God, you got to so be kidding It's me. not actually Kevin Bacon, but there's a couple of weird ones in here. Um, several famous people wind up getting involved in her case. Obviously, there's Jimmy Carter, who will commute her sentence. So in exchange for time served, she gets out of prison. She only serves 22 months of the uh, the seven years it was pled down to, right? Um, guess what president pardons her? Oh. Recently. Recently? Relatively well. recently. Within your lifetime, Kahuna. I'll give you a hint. Clinton? Yep. You got no it. way. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one thing I like. It's a it's a woman who knows her way around a fire. <laughs> you like you smoke cigars, Patty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a journalist for the New York Times. This one was hilarious. I'll tell you what. I'll give you the creepy one first, and then we'll we'll go we'll go really creepy first, and then we'll go uh, laughably creepy afterwards. All right. To try to end this on a better note. Uh, here's the creepy one. A uh, representative, a member of the U.S. House of Representatives from the state of California, began collecting signatures for Patty's release while she was serving these 22 months in prison here. Um, And there was a lot going on, too, because she had testified against other members of the SLA for, like, very pled-down charges. But someone left a dead rat in her uh, cell. So uh, there was some fear that maybe she wasn't in in the bed. So this representative starts collecting signatures in order to try to get something going to get her out of jail. Um, that representative's name is Leo Ryan. Does that click with either of you guys? Leo Ryan. Leo Ryan, Representative Leo Ryan. He collects these signatures to get uh, our girl Patty out of jail early. 
Um, and then he goes, I'll take care of this when I get back. I have to go visit Jonestown real quick. Okay. He is the representative that visited Jonestown and then was shot and killed on the tarmac trying to leave the plane because he was trying to bring people out of Jonestown. So, yeah. yeah Jim Jones, Jonestown. Damn. Yep. Try the okay. Cool, try the Kool-Aid. <laughs> at Jonestown. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, another little caveat to that story is that after the killing of Leo Ryan, uh, a very famous actor, Hollywood icon, comes forward and says, you know, uh, it's a little crazy that we can believe that Jim Jones uh, can brainwash 800 people to commit mass suicide, but we can't believe that one group of terrorists can you know, brainwash a young teenage girl. Um, give you one, you'll never get it in a million years, either of you. But um, you want to guess what Hollywood icon? Orson Welles. Close. <laughs> Charlton Heston. Charlton. Very, very close. Jack Nicholson. John Wayne. Wow. Yeah, okay. The John Duke. Wayne. He was, and, and you can interpret those statements how you want to, but I'm sitting there and saying that's that's the Duke showing some sympathy for uh, for, the, for Patty Hearst here. That's entirely possible that she was completely brainwashed. And she might have been. You really don't know on that one. Um, now, there's someone who wrote a book for the New York Times, a respected writer for the New York Times that wrote a book in which uh, he pretty much called bullshit on the idea of Stockholm Syndrome. He goes, this was a decision. I don't buy it, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, he was trying to pretty much make the argument, This uh, the whole thing. It was just her. She realized she made a mistake. You know, Things got out of hand or whatever, and then she just went on. It was embarrassing for her, right? And that writer's name was Jeffrey Tubin. For those who don't remember, Jeffrey Tubin recently lost his job with the New York Times because he was caught masturbating on a Zoom call. But maybe not the guy you want to plead your case. Yeah, I was. He was brainwashed. <laughs> you can't write that kind of stupid. You could not, man. You absolutely couldn't. Um, Can I, that's a real absolutely. Quick, um, I, I always say that age group of guys that are like in their 50s, 60s right now, like our dads, they're, and there's no disrespect whatsoever, but the, the, the generation didn't grow up with technology like Kahuna and you did, right? But in the middle, like me and you are. It, we're the worst because you don't understand like, oh, that Zoom camera's always on. You know what I mean? <laughs> or yeah. like if you send a picture of your private part, someone doesn't want them, they can take that right to the authorities. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's a weird thing. <laughs> it, it, it's like they're in that middle ground of like, oh, this is really fun, but there's a real dark side of this that could happen real quick. Like that, oh, totally. a 20-year-old doesn't do that because they grew up with the internet, right? A 50-year-old might. He did. You know what I mean? It's, uh, I, I mean... Who hasn't been there, right? You know? <laughs> but, uh, no, you're, it's an excellent point. On that yeah, it's too. a video moment, right? Yeah. Well, uh, oh, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, want to watch this now, again later. Have you ever, because, again, to masturbate uh, on Zoom in front of your computer, that part's crazy. But, uh, I mean, masturbating without a computer in front of you, that's actually strange nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> um, but those are the weird notes. She is still alive, like we pointed out. Or she remains a pop culture icon, albeit a, a controversial one. Like, and, uh, Kevin, you're, I think you're leaving out that. Oh, we're uh, not done yet. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, she gets out of, you know, she is uh, um, commuted by Carter and then later pardoned by Clinton. And once she's out of jail, um, she marries her, uh, one of her bodyguards. So she's now. Uh, How many movies Patricia. has this woman had made about parts of her life starring Kevin Costner and right. Whitney Houston? And. <laughs> 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 Yeah, because obviously after she gets out of out of jail, I mean, there's a big faction of people thinking that you know she, she here's that rich bitch that got away with with the thing because of her money, and the other side is saying you know that she was she was being put down by the by the by the man type of a thing, and then uh, uh, the family 
realizes that maybe we should have had a bodyguards, multiple bodyguards for her all along, and she ends up marrying uh, a guy by the name of Bernard Shaw, not George <laughs> Bernard Shaw, just Bernard Shaw. Ooh, so, okay. So now she's Patricia Campbell Hurst Shaw. Tell you something about the psyche of that guy too, because they got, this is a potentially crazy person that I'm going to marry. So if my job here, then I was going to secure the Sears at the Monmouth Mall. Like <laughs> <laughs> that tells you how hard of a grind private security is. Well, yeah, uh, it's also kind of a come up for him too, because right? he probably didn't get in the police academy doing private security. He's like, oh, I'm going to go marry into a 500 billion dollar family. That's a win for me. Yeah. I'm never riding a Segway around a Kmart again. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Blart marrying into a, a news newspaper magnate. It, it, it's Paul Blart. Or marrying Paris Hilton is basically what this, <laughs> what this came into. Ah, oh, Jesus. It's, um, <laughs> we got to land this plane, LP. What do you get? Yeah, I know. Keep going, man. You're, you're good. Well, I, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that, uh, cause you know that you're a good story when you get mentioned. Cause one of my all time favorite, uh, uh, songwriters is Warren Zevon, right? Uh, did, uh, uh, Werewolves of London, a couple of his other great tracks, Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. Which uh, I believe has the line, uh, then Patty Hearst, she'll hear the burst of Roland the Headless Thompson. So it was the idea of, uh, you know, unfinished business. Right. I believe she gets mentioned in Excitable Boy, too, which is a great track. But uh, the quite, I mean, we'll wrap this one up here because uh, I know Angel's got to go. Kahuna's got another show to do. And uh, we love the good people over here. Uh, if you want to support the show, do me a favor. Uh, we're giving you three episodes free a month. Every Tuesday for the first three Tuesdays of the month, you're going to get something absolutely for free. If you can help us out over on Patreon, we got a three dollar and a five dollar contributions. Uh, three bucks a month gets you the bonus episode. This will only be available on there. So if you want to keep up with your routine, do me a favor, jump on that thing. It helps me buy the Kahuna's love, buys Ming's uh, occasional Facebook post. As you can see, Ming needs to save up for a new chair because he fell out of one today during a, a podcast. Um, <laughs> so he? he did. I'll show you later. It's good. It's it's decent video. Um, but uh, it's very exciting times here, man. If you also want to come check me out, uh, you're not going to be able to. I'm going to be with Vic DiBattetto tomorrow night down at uh, Uncle Vinny's Comedy Club. Uh, also, uh, the upcoming dates. Angie, you know anything you want to plug real quick? Where or? is Uncle Vinny's Comedy Point Pleasant, Club? New Jersey. There you go. Uh, we got Stand Up and Laugh, the book available now from microcosmpublishing.com. The Brighton Bar Monday night open mic when the longest running mics in New Jersey was shut down because of Barbara and I busy because of COVID. We moved over to Nip and Tuck, uh, downtown Long Branch. Hell great, yeah. Great That's food, a spot, dude. great drink menu, great bartenders, great wait staff. Really having fun there on Mondays. And then uh, we're looking to do some book shows soon at some breweries in Ocean and Monmouth County. So we've been locked up in house for a year. Someone's going to hit different 2020, 21. Uh, you know, drink some craft beer and laugh at me and my friends. Hopefully KP does one of the shows with us. We're going to set you up with uh, the good people over at Ross Brewing soon too. Um, Completely down for that. Absolutely, man. Um, also, uh, real quick, uh, June 11th, I'll be at Laugh It Up in Poughkeepsie with my good buddy Mike Cannon. And June 12th, I will be with uh, the one and only Robert Kelly, who uh, I'm still afraid of, but I like that he likes me. <laughs> um, I'm going to be with him over at uh, the Paper Mill in Napanock, New York. That's through the comedy shops. You can get tickets for that at uh, jjcomedy.com. Uh, also support Laugh It Up in Poughkeepsie. They fought through hell during uh, the friggin' uh, pandemic to try to come back. And uh, Mike Cannon is one of the great comics as well. Also support my buddy Angela. Follow him. Uh, where can they follow you on social media, bud? Instagram is Mr. Fifth Round, MR, the number five, T H R U N D, and Facebook is just Angelo Gingerelli. Hell yeah, man. Um, Lawrence Patrick, any notes on our way out here? No, I think that's uh, pretty much covered. I think we got it all there. Well, she is, uh, uh, the rest of her story has yet to be told, folks, because she's still alive. So this one's going to be an interesting one here, but quite a life lived already. Uh, it'll be curious to see how she's remembered. A lot, a lot of movies made about her. A lot, a lot of books written about her. A lot, a lot of uh, inspiration 
uh, for characters brought out by stuff that she went through. I mean, uh, I, there's it's a lot going on here. It's not exactly. Uh, I think Angela hit the nail on the head with saying, uh, "Imagine uh, it's uh, Die Hard featuring uh, Paris Hilton." You know, <laughs> it's a little bit crazy. So. But uh, anyway, uh, thank you to the Kahuna by the ones and twos. Thank you to Mike and Ming, taking great care of us, the Shared Universe Podcast Studio. Follow me at, at KP Burke Sucks over on Instagram, KP Burke on Facebook, at American Loser Podcast. We're also up on YouTube. A bunch of our episodes are over on YouTube. So if you got somebody who doesn't really listen to podcasts too much, but you want to share the show with them, do that. We're also putting out some other original content. Uh, also going to be probably putting in a bay window, I think, this weekend. So my, <laughs> my, you know, my carpentry career is just on fire. Lend a hand. <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of insulation the other day. Uh, but I'm excited about this one, man. This was an absolute blast. Angela, thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, Thanks, guys. You guys are great. Glad to do you're it. You're the best, dude. And support him. Stand up and laugh. I'm looking forward to reading this very much, guys. Um, and I will say this. Patty Hearst is a hot mess. And I'm, I'm oddly more attracted to her now, knowing what a wild person she is. So... Uh, anything else to say the way out, Dad? We're good. We're landing this plane. Guys, my name was KP Burke, and that was Patty Hearst, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. <laughs> <laughs>